But the first legal technology company to receive unicorn status, in other words, be valued at a billion dollars, was Clio. Today, we're going to have the opportunity to talk to Clio's CEO, Jack Newton. And to make this conversation even more special, we're going to be joined by Ed Walters, the CEO of Fastcase. Jack and Ed, in this two-part episode, are going to share their vision for how attorneys can access the latent market, help bridge the access gap, and make the legal profession more sustainable. This is a really special conversation, and we're thrilled to be releasing it the eve of the first in-person ClioCon, where many of the thought leaders in the legal technology and innovation space will be getting together. We're very excited, and we're going to get right to the show. Welcome to the ABA Center for Innovation's Innovation Network Podcast, a podcast dedicated to finding and highlighting the opportunities of the future of law and bringing them into your legal practice today. We will explore new partnerships, unforeseen successes, and reveal the blueprints that are already being used to develop the future of legal. Along this journey, our guests will challenge you to let go of the status quo and dare to imagine a legal economy where creativity and collaboration are the fuel and your new ability to serve every person with a legal need is your financial reward. And now, here are your hosts for the Innovation Network podcast, Joey Gartner and Patrick Pallas. Today's guests are two of the most well-known CEOs in legal technology and two innovators who personally were early on in my journey through innovation, big inspirations for me to explore and think about the profession more broadly. Joining us today is founder and CEO of Clio, Jack Newton. And also joining us today is Ed Walters, the CEO and founder of Fastcase. I can't believe I get to say this, gentlemen, but Jack, Ed, welcome to the Innovation Network. Thanks for having us. Great to be here. Gentlemen, this is so fun to be able to have the two of you, but the dynamic of having you together today. I mean, I tell you, Joy and I have been very excited about doing this. Can I just jump right in? Because we only got so much time and we have a lot to talk about. Let's Let's jump into it. All right. So there's all this discussion that's been going on for years about this so-called latent market. Like what is the what is the portion of um, the legal market that really isn't being tapped right now? And there's a lot of numbers out there. And I want to give you kind of, I think, a, a newer update on that. Um, you know, so Legal Services Corporation just came out there with that report. And their new report gives us some new numbers. And so I spent a little time extrapolating these numbers. I'm going to cut to the chase here a little bit. But if we're for 92% of the low-income people in this country have unmet legal needs. And of those people, uh, 75% have one need, 39% have five needs. You do some quick math, you know, and we're getting close to 100 million problems annually just in the low-income sector. Okay. Right. Well, then, you know, the low income sector is only about 12% of the population. So we got another 78% of the population that has somewhere between 70 and 80% unmet needs, depending on how you break down, you know, that population under the LSC yeah. study, right? And there's 332 million people in this country. All right. I mean, these numbers start to get insane. So what we do know is that there is a current market of 437 um, billion that's 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 actually being purchased. That's money actually being spent. And if that's say 20% of the market that's out there, a, a quick math calculation, gentlemen, we're at 2.2 trillion dollars of legal market 
that is available to lawyers. Uh, and we're, we're and we got four four hundred and thirty seven million of it. I mean, does anybody else smell opportunity here? Let me just ask you this question. I mean, we're going to spend the rest of the time talking about it. So I realize you guys don't have a quick yes or no answer to this. How do we access the one point seven trillion that's been left on the table? Yeah, it's a great question, Patrick. And I'll I'll maybe start off, and and Ed will uh, jump in here as well. But. The, the back of the napkin you just walked through is, I, I think, exactly accurate. This is a multi, multi hundred billion dollar opportunity, potentially a trillion plus. The, the caveat, of course, is that the ability for those lower income and middle income folks to spend on legal services is less than the higher end of the market. So maybe it's not quite 1.7 trillion, but it's certainly, I think, above a trillion. So so we're we're talking about you know, the way, the way I like to visualize it, Patrick, is as an iceberg. And, and we, we have this iceberg of the, the met legal needs. And again, you know, if you look at the World Justice Project data, we have some new data from the LSC. Like you said, call that 20% of the market that's currently addressed by lawyers and being served by lawyers. That's the, the literally the tip of the iceberg. And then the other 70, 80% of the market that is not receiving legal assistance it's below the waterline and it's this trillion dollar plus latent legal market for lawyers to to go after. So it's it's just an insanely huge market. And I think what's so interesting is when you, you, you me and Ed have all traveled the, the world together at these legal conferences and have heard lawyers talk about their concerns about commodification of legal services and often a bit of a, a zero-sum game mentality when we're looking at the legal market. And I think you can only have a zero-sum view of the market when you're looking at that tip of the iceberg. And as soon as you look below the waterline and you look at, the, the like you said, the millions of legal issues that are unresolved, the, the vast majority of the market whose legal needs are, are unmet, there's a vast on, opportunity for entrepreneurship here. There's a vast opportunity uh, to, to thrive in incredible ways for every lawyer out there. Uh, and I, I think what you need is a shift in mindset. And I, I can talk about a little bit more about uh, my own take on this later on if we have time, but uh, I'll just distill it down to a few sentences, which is I really think that lawyers need to be rethinking the delivery of legal services in a more client-centered way, right. working, from, working from that exact unmet need outward. Go interview those folks, go talk to those folks, figure out what their needs are, how can you get in front of them, and how can you build a product or a service that helps meet that need? And I think there's so many great examples of law firms or even technology and law firms combined that have done a wonderful job of working backwards, basically, from the actual need, from the actual client, and figuring out how we can build a business model that solves for them. Yeah, you know, I think that change of mindset, Jack, that you were talking about is really the crux of it. If you asked like a video rental store what the size of the market for movies is, or a movie theater, what the size of the market for movies is, they would have a different answer than Blockbuster. And if you asked Blockbuster what the size of the market was, they'd have a different answer than Netflix. And I think right now, like, as a profession, we're not even blockbuster. Like we're, we're kind of missing the, what the market is. So Jack has talked a lot about kind of product market fit, yes. um, especially in his book, uh, The Client Center Law Firm. And part of getting client uh, uh, product market fit for any product 
is understanding what you're selling. And as lawyers right now, what we're selling tends to be ours. We're selling our time. But the product here is really solving problems or avoiding problems. And there's a, there's a giant gap between what's being sold and what's being consumed. And this is this was really the the crux of the difference between Blockbuster and Netflix, right? You know, Blockbuster was selling bits of plastic that you would carry back and forth, and you would get penalized for not rewinding. What was being consumed was entertainment, was watching movies, right? And the plastic had nothing to do with it. The plastic was sort of in the way. And what we're doing right now as a profession, you know, ours are not what's being sold. Ours are the plastic. They are really in the way of delivering uh, legal services. There's the the famous story about you know Black and Decker, where uh, you know it was like Henry Decker who walked through the holes and said, "What are we selling?" You know, people would say drills. We're selling drill bits. We're selling, you know, and he would say, "No, what we're selling is the three quarter inch hole." Right. And as as a profession, this is a mindset change that we need to fully internalize. Not only are we not uh, blockbuster, not only are we not kind of reaching out to consumers, we're really more like that, uh, you know, corner bodega video rental store in, in the provision of our legal services. And to really, to access that latent market, you can't reach the Netflix streaming market if you have a bodega mindset. If you really want to access that latent market, you really have to do what Jack was talking about. You have to understand those consumers. You have to go talk to them and interview them, see how to reach them, see how to bridge the gap between what you're selling and what they really need. So Patrick, I'm a, a thousand percent optimistic the way you are about the potential of the latent market, but you can't get there by putting more effort into what we're doing today. You can't add two more hours in your week or 10 more hours in your week and close the access to justice gap. You can't do it through volunteer pro bono efforts. Um, although I, I think pro bono is amazing and virtuous, there's not enough volunteer time available to close that gap. It needs to be a complete change of mindset. You know, at least with Blockbuster, they had a market share. And then, of course, Netflix took away the market share and became the market share, right? In legal, who has the market share? Does any single firm even have anywhere close to 1%? I mean, nobody has market domination. Nobody has market share in legal. I think that says everything about how small-minded and unscalable our ancient model, business model, our model is. And you guys both talk about, and you mentioned earlier, the, the product market fit. And I love this analogy of, you know, Starbucks. If Starbucks started out with the idea of like, ladies and gentlemen, what we have here is an access to coffee gap. And you guys talk about, and I'm cutting the chase because I want to kind of get to, to the deep part of this, but you guys talk about, well, we, we, we give them a product that is good. We give them uh, a product that they can get in a local place so it's accessible. And we give a product to them that it's easy to buy and it's affordable. That metaphor uh, yeah. is uh, actually born of a, a horrible, sweaty, very early morning <laughs> run through New Orleans before CleoCon and Jack's keynote. <laughs> that's that's right. That's right. Uh, Ed and I were were jamming on this product market fit idea, um, and and Ed actually gave this example of of Starbucks, you know, lamenting 
lamenting the fact that uh, there's an access to coffee gap and, and how ludicrous <laughs> that would sound as a, right. as a counterpoint. Right. And, you know, for, you know, for me, and, and the reason I was actually pressure testing this with Ed as, as a lawyer, I'm, an, I'm from outside the legal industry originally. I'm a technologist by training, computer science background. And so when I heard all this talk about access to justice as I was getting into legal back in 2008, what struck me as so surprising was access to justice at all these legal conferences I was attending and hearing keynotes and talks about tended to refer to access to justice as some kind of externality, like a problem that somebody else needs to solve on behalf of the legal profession. You know, this needs to be bar associations, or like Ed said, it needs to be pro bono and some some mass effort by lawyers to to give away their hours. And, and like Ed said, Ed, pro bono has its place, but using the product market fit framework that we use in the technology universe to talk about how well our products are meeting the needs of consumers, I, I looked at it as this this huge product market fit problem. Where again, if you were if you're an early stage startup and your target customers only a quarter of them were able to to use you in any way, shape, or form to solve their problems, a venture capitalist would tell you, "Come back and talk to me when you've got product market fit." <laughs> you know, you're you're only hitting your hit rates less than twenty percent. You you need to iterate on your product and figure out how to actually solve your customers' problems. And I think that's what's so interesting about this this strange kind of dichotomy where we talk about, on one hand, the access to justice gap as this endemic problem that we need somebody else, like almost a deus ex machina kind of rescue to solve, as opposed to this, this massive opportunity that you know the legal profession should be looking at saying, Wow, we've got to go back to the drawing board. Like this isn't iterating. I mean, to to further abuse the blockbuster analogy, the state of the legal industry, you know, it's, it's not even blockbuster. It's the corner video store, you know, the one-off that's being run by a mom paw shop, serving the local neighborhood and and not doing well at that because they've got one copy of every video. Like that's kind of the current state of affairs. And I think what's so interesting about the the latent legal market opportunity is that it's not just figuring out how do we do a better job of that corner store. It's actually rethinking what is your TAM? What is your total addressable market? And and the, the, the reason Netflix is worth $20 billion and Blockbuster is worth zero is that they really figured out how do we redefine the TAM? And again, you redefine the TAM not by figuring out how do we sell more plastic cassettes at scale. You figure out how do we redefine the addressable market and and that's really I think what's so exciting about this this opportunity. You know, Netflix Netflix said we're not we're not selling plastic cassettes, we're selling entertainment. And we're doing that to anyone with an internet connection. You know, and I, I think that's that's kind of the way we should be thinking about things in legal. We should be saying more people have access to an internet connection than have access to justice to today. How do we do two things? I really think there's two things that are gonna be fundamentally transformative to this industry. How do we move the industry as aggressively as possible to the cloud? Internet services should be delivered over the internet, or sorry, legal services should be delivered over the internet. There's exceptions to that, but by and large, most legal services could be de delivered over a Zoom call and a, a good internet connection. Sure. And how do, we, how do we also evolve to be more client-centered in the way that we deliver legal services? I'll just add that courts can be a part of that solution. Absolutely. Like I think a lot of courts view the consumer as lawyers. 
right? If the process is understandable to lawyers who've attended law school and who have a, a firm grasp of the local rules, then we've sort of checked the box. But we need to view that latent market also as a failure. It's a failure of our justice system uh, and courts need to realize that, you know, of course, all of the rules, all the procedures uh, are really there for the benefit of clients. And if only 20% of clients have access to that kind of process in courts, if only 20% of clients have the opportunity to be successful because they can afford outside counsel under the current model, that's a failure. And there are, there are lots of places where courts could make those processes less inscrutable, I guess more scrutable, if that's a word. Um, you know, so Fast Case recently uh, started working with Courtroom 5, uh, a group that has uh, really sort of taken this on to say, look, there are parts of the process where people can do it themselves, and there's parts where you might need a lawyer, and they'll try to match people with lawyers uh, in the parts where you need them. But I think if courts could just, you know, sort of bend that process, the, the intake and the forms, uh, just a little bit towards consumers, that also would make a bigger market for lawyers. Because at some point in that process, you know, more people will be engaged with the justice system and they'll need guidance from a lawyer. And that's great. You know, that if, if lawyers can do limited scope representation for the places where they're needed, that would be a huge uh, increase in the outcomes for people. And we would create like a bigger market for legal services too. Yeah, you talk, we talked to, you know, Scott Schlegel, Judge Schlegel um, a couple weeks ago. And, and he was talking about how much higher um, how many, what the higher percentage of people he's able to to serve in his virtual courtroom uh, yep. because the systems he set up that are accessible, um, you know, they're inexpensive, uh, and he's able to get through his docket faster, 10 times faster than anybody else who's still seeing people in the courtroom. So those kind of things, uh, you know, seem so obvious if we add that to the list of things we can do to make uh, legal more, more accessible. A brother um, from another mother in Louisiana. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so one of the things you, you we've all brought up today, and there's been a great through line on, is designing with your end user in mind and building something that is consumer focused. For attorneys who are just starting to think about that, what are some of the principles that you think are important and of value to, to integrate for that process? So I, I think, uh, and by the way, I don't want to plug my book, but I, but I will. There's actually a lot uh, in the client-centered law firm about exactly how you go through this design process. Um, the way you can, you know, iterate out from the from the client and understand their their problems. So for anyone that's that, whose interest is peaked in this conversation, please go go check it out. Um, but I'll I'll try to give you know my perspective with a, a bit of a high level summary yeah. of some of the concepts before, in the book. Before you move but, on, yeah, can go I, ahead. Can I just say like uh, while we're saying check out the book, uh, would you for our listeners say the name of the book? Oh, sorry. Yes, it is the client-centered law firm. You know, the idea, the, the fundamental premise of this book is basically, hey, look, if we're being really harsh on, on the self-examination of the legal profession, it has been a lawyer-centric profession to this point. And that's one of the reasons we're at 23% market share on solving the legal problems that are out there. Um, even if you think about something as foundational as the billable hour, the only thing, the billable, the only person the billable hour is good for is the lawyer. So if we throw out the concept of being lawyer-centered, 
what else could we be as a profession? And, and the answer is being client-centered and really using the design practices and the, the product development and service development practices that are, are, are pretty common in the, the, the product development world. And, and really it, it's about getting, number one, proximity, you know, getting your target customer clearly identified, doing something called customer development. And I'll, I'll plug another book called uh, Four Steps to the Epiphany by Stephen Gary Blank. That is a fantastic book about understanding your customer. You don't want to build a product or a service with a fields of dreams, build it and they will come kind of mentality. You really want to first understand, do you have a client and a customer profile that will buy this service from you? You can often end up with this win-win-win situation, a triple win of number one, creating a better outcome for your clients, which at the end of the day is the reason a lot of lawyers got into lawyering in the first place. You're, you're helping people get good legal outcomes. The second thing that you'll see is you can actually be more profitable and generate more revenue as a law firm when you embrace this mindset. So, so what's interesting is Hello Divorce company is filled up with lawyers that used to do divorces the traditional way, the $20,000 a pop way. And in this higher transaction, more streamlined, sorry, higher transaction volume, more streamlined process, lawyers are making more per year in, in terms of gross fees than they were doing it the old complicated way. So that's super interesting. And then if you look at the net effect of this, we're also actually having a really positive effect on access to justice. You know, back to our original conversation about the product market fit problem and how do we go about solving access to justice. Nobody needs to be doing pro bono in this situation. This, this is about creating more accessible legal services. And there's people that need and deserve a divorce. They're in an abusive relationship or whatever constellation of reasons led them to seek a divorce that might not have been able to access that divorce in the old model that Hello Divorce is enabling. So I think that's just one example of, you know, kind of in a concrete way, how you can apply these, these, these client-centered uh, um, practices and, and develop a breakthrough product or service offering. Um, Ed, you, I'm sure you've got some good examples as well. I do. And again, it just reflects that change of mindset, right? So uh, I it's think it's just a all, mindset shift. Exactly. That's right. Lawyers are really smart, you know, and they're, they're good critical thinkers, right? But our, our profession has a very large status quo bias. Like we're very critical in thinking about anything different, any change. We're not super good at being critical about reexamining what we're already doing and what the problems are. So uh, many years ago, a friend uh, to all of us, uh, Billy Tarasio, uh, was running a law firm in Arizona and she was doing family law and she was burned out. Her team was burned out. They were filling out the same forms over and over again. And a lot of what they were doing was just data entry. It's not why she became a lawyer. It's not why her team was motivated to you know, work with her at the firm. And so she woke up one day and said, I'm putting all of the forms on our website with instructions on how to fill them out yourself and submit them to the court. I don't know what I'm gonna do for work tomorrow, but it's not going to be data entry anymore. And so, uh, you know, about a week or so later, her phone started ringing off the hook. And it was clients who were saying, hey, I'm, I'm ready for my meeting now. And Billy was saying on the phone, there's no meeting. Right, you fill out the form, there's instructions to submit it with the court, you're done. 
But the client said, yeah, yeah, I've already filled out the form. I've submitted it to the court already. I want my meeting. And what Billy realized was that, you know, she was considering the product to be documents for hours. And that's not what clients were buying from her. You know, those clients wanted to sit down across the table and say, here's what's happening to me. Here's my story, right? And they want a lawyer who's going to say, here's what happens next, right? Here's what we're going to do in the situation. Here's what's likely to happen. And, you know, everything is going to be okay. I've seen worse. So, you know, the, the product Billy realized wasn't the documents or the hours. The product was having someone to say, your problems are now my problems. Nothing that you face from here on out, you have to face alone. And you're not alone. There's lots of other people who have experienced this before. It's a change of mindset. You know, if we view the product as our hours or a number of documents or data entry or whatever it is we're doing today, then there's kind of no way to scale that. And there's no way to reach the latent market market we've been talking about for this whole podcast. All right, we're going to have to wrap up right here and save the rest of this conversation for episode two, which we'll be releasing at the end of ClioCon to give anyone who traveled for the event something to listen to on the way home. As always, you can follow the Center for Innovation at ABA Innovation on Twitter. And don't forget to share this episode out on social media using the hashtag ABACIN. The Innovation Network is a production from the American Bar Association, the Center for Innovation. Opinions of our guests do not necessarily reflect those of the ABA. Editing for the Innovation Network is performed by Ben Woodson and Joey Gartner. 